If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson, along with my co-host. Brian Siegler. How you doing, buddy? Buddy, this guy is tired, man. <laughs> what you been doing, man? All right, so Friday, my neighbor, um, uh, who is a landscape contractor, GNR Landscaping LLC, uh, name is Chris, great okay. guy. Talked to him about getting some uh, mulch a couple weeks ago. He dropped 10 yards of mulch at the house on Friday. Ooh. And, buddy, me and the wifey all day, most of the day Saturday and part of the day today worked. So, start, <laughs> we, we ooh, I'm a little tired from doing that. Plus, we had our first Little League baseball practice on Saturday as well. Okay. So, when we get done recording here tonight, I'm going to be going to bed and probably fall asleep in like five minutes. What about you, big guy? Dude, kind of similar, man. Uh, We had a uh, pretty much uh, outdoor-based weekend. We did a lot of, um, you know, a little bit more landscaping than kind of the similar stuff we were working on before with the the patio and stuff. Then we had a uh, one of Wyatt's um, classmates – him and uh his brother and his parents over doing like a little uh little alcoholic punch and um you know a little fruit tray and stuff like that while the kids messed around in the uh inflatable pool and on the trampoline and then we went over to our neighbor's house and had some uh quesadillas and some uh some queso dip that i smoked on the uh on the good old weber in the backyard this afternoon so it was a pretty full day but oh, yeah, I've everybody. been in the sun a lot, so I could really use some sleep myself. Oh, yeah. Everybody check out Brian's. Uh, he, I don't know if you posted it on Twitter, but you sent me a picture of that queso stuff you were doing, man. And I and I jokingly said to Brian, dude, we recording tonight. You eat all that. You're going to be like, <laughs> food coma. Not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, we did something similar yesterday. Kim's brother, older brother, birthday was this weekend. So we went over to their house and ordered some pizzas, let the kids frolic in the backyard. Which was again a little more normal type stuff, not a hundred percent, but more normal. And obviously, the baseball stuff's more normal. But uh, overall, solid weekend. 
Um, back to the grind tomorrow. So uh, now you back to the office tomorrow, or is that later this week? We're still holding off. It's probably going to be either later this week or Monday of next week. Got it. I've done all the uh, the the re onboarding stuff, so now I'm just kind of waiting for the green light. <laughs> Three on Morty. Don't wash your hands constantly. Don't put your fingers in your mouth. Like the common, like you're sitting there, like you mean the common sense stuff every human being that's of age should know. Sure. All right. Well, to guys, today what we're going to hit as our main show topic is we're going to do some ACC off season recaps. Um, today we're looking at the ones we don't play. So, but before we get into all that, we obviously, it's been a little while since we uh, have recorded, so definitely some news has come down the pipe, and Brian, let's let's start with the bad before we get to yeah, the good. Yeah, it's, it's the not fun. all good news, ladies and gentlemen. We had, we had another one uh, jump off the boat, as it were. Um, but were you but were you really surprised he jumped off the boat? Brian, we were not. Neville, you you know, we're talking about Latrell Neville here, and we're talking about um, a guy that mostly got in the boat because Demetrius Davis was in the boat. And even though we got the, you know, I'm committed to, to my verbal statement about three weeks ago, I was like, eh, you know, I'll take your word for it right now, but I'm going to pretty much say you got one foot out the door until I see some more, solidifying evidence so and unfortunately that never came to pass and it looks like uh you know he, he decommitted and it looks like I, it seems nebraska is the, the team that's really making the biggest push right now which puts him a little closer to home but not exactly uh what you would call his backyard either he ain't going to oklahoma oklahoma state baylor tcu he's not going to those programs within a two three hour drive five to six up in Oklahoma. Um, but you know what? You got to do what you feel is best for you. You know, I know some people go with the kids pretty hard when they decommit. Yeah, be emotionally invested. But no, again, we don't know everything behind the scenes with this guy. You know, it could have been the Didi thing and other things could have changed in his life that we don't know about. So, yeah. again, everybody who goes after these kids on Twitter when they decommit, don't. Don't, they're 17 year old kids. Think of yourself as 17 year old. I'm sure some of you didn't know your head from a hole in the ground and were making decisions. These kids are doing the same. So let's go with that. But Brian, from this, I kind of look at it. I mean, do you think Texas to VT is history? When, when we say Texas to VT being history, I think yes, in terms of it being a big splash in every recruiting class or signing four or five guys in every recruiting class. I, I don't – I think that was overhyped by the fans and overhyped by members of the coaching staff because it was a big deal when we started getting some of these guys in the boat. So I get that, you know, sometimes uh, hype becomes your own worst enemy. And yeah. I think that's what happened here is that, you know, everybody saw, you know, we had uh, the commitments from the defensive ends in the 2020 class and, and then D committing. And then all of a sudden you've got Neville in there and about two or three other guys that were really giving us a serious look in that area. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, there's something behind here. But I think it this is going to turn out more like what we do in Florida, especially in like the Delray Beach and Jacksonville area, than some sort of like 
grand uprootment from um, from Texas and uh, you know transplanting those guys in uh, in Blacksburg. I don't think we're going to see see that degree where we got a third of our of our class made up of these you know Texas Texahoma guys. But I think you're going to see you know two to three maybe per class. Um, I think that's a reasonable ask, especially if you're not talking about high profile Texas town. If you're talking about more like the 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 low four, high three guys that that we're kind of um, looking at uh, already pulling in, like uh, Alec Bryant. So that's, yeah. that's my take on it. Yeah, and it's out of point with the way you put it was the the movement was very hyped to the moon because we got two guys in one class. Then we picked up a couple more, and it was like people were just shooting it through the moon. You saw it a ton on social media, but I like. Yeah, I, I think it. you know, I think some of the coaches did did a, a maybe a little bit premature uh, job of once they saw how it was playing with the fans jumping on that, and I think that created maybe a little bit more hype than was needed. Um, and then you know, you also got to look at the fact that you had these guys in the boat and you weren't able to keep them. So there's going to be some criticism of the staff there that, you know, if you can get them to commit, why can't you, you know, keep them in the boat? Well, um, well, let me ask this then. Let me ask this because we say, is it all oh, man, the coaching staff blew it. Dude, how much do you think the pandemic caused? Or is this just an excuse? Is it like, this is true. We couldn't like, Hey, to see campus to really keep them like on our train or is it just, coaching staff is using they stink at closing on guys what do you think because you, you know you you know my feelings I think it kind of threw a huge curveball in how we were going to do things starting March really what was going to be the dead period what dead period was going to start in May normally right yeah and I, I, mean, I think right? the big thing is that you weren't able to get yeah just looking at the way some of these um, commitments have come through I think we were looking at a major March April push to get yeah. guys in the boat. And I think the pandemic completely threw that for a loop. And I think initially it played in our favor because we already did have good position with a lot of those guys. Yeah. But I think as time wore on, it, you know, it became a problem. So I'm not saying that the pandemic is the reason we lost those kids, but I think pandemic definitely played a role in that because it did, you know, we, we had very positive momentum, at the beginning of the pandemic. And then we had about a four week lull where kind of nothing happened. And in yeah. that nothing happening is when, you know, DD went radio silence. And then obviously we knew that there was going to be some collateral damage from that decommitment just because of how much hype was behind his, his coming to Virginia yep. tech and how much hype was behind. Okay. Well, and, and, and two, you know, I'll, I'll put this on the staff a little bit too. Some of it was a little bit too much. Come play with Didi. At some point, you yeah. can't you can't just hype one guy as being the centerpiece. You got to, you know, build the entire recruiting class, absent of everybody else that you're getting in. Hundred percent on that. Hundred percent. I think it was definitely a factor. I don't think it's. I think it was a major factor. Um, you know, but again, they cannot use it as an excuse because it happened to everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. It should have it should, it changed your game plan of how you were going to recruit these guys. You make the point about them really pushing it. DD, uh, we, we feel that way just from, you know, we see 
um, you know, published and stuff like that. But we don't know how the things were behind the scene. So I don't know how much it was to push to get to come here to play with them. We definitely feel like Latrell was. But, you know, it is what it is. The pandemic is what it is. I think the NCAA is really screwing up right now by continuing to end the dead periods. When you've got states reopening, schools are starting to reopen, and you're just like, oh, no, no, dead period, dead period. And it's like, why, guys? I don't get it. But, you know, I think we'll, I think me and you might tackle that another day. But, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's going to create some problems um, with the dead period keep getting – you know, push back, push back, push back, because at some point, you know, we're not going to be able to even understand what the, what the recruiting is going to look like because you're going to be back in the season again. So you essentially have what's a, you know, almost zero off season recruiting period, which, you know, is, is, is a completely different uh, animal, especially, you know, rolling right into, um, the early signing period right after the regular season wraps up. I think it's going to be really, really hard. And I think we're going to see some major decommitments and some major uh, guys up for grab that we thought, you know, already had a, had a home. Oh yeah. I already told you my thought. I think once that thing breaks, um, I think you're going to have a week where there's going to be a hundred plus kids decommit. I think it's going to be that fast and furious because the kid's going to go visit a school and be like, uh, what was I sold? <laughs> and he's gonna leave. Yeah, thanks, coach. Thanks, coach. Get on his plane. I would text coach real quick. Da da da, and then say yeah, yeah. I, and then announce on Twitter. Yeah, I'm decommitting. <laughs> like, oops. I think you're gonna see that. But Brian, news isn't all bad, man. Um, over the last couple weeks here, since me and you uh, last, you know, had a show, we got a European commit. From Germ or from Germany by way or from Serbia by way of Germany, Daniel Militech or Daniel Militech. Yeah, yeah, Deutschland um, to VT. <laughs> Deutschland to VT. There we go, big guy. All right, you already checked his tape out because you hit some things you like. What, what do you see from this guy, man? Yeah, I think the big thing that you're looking at here is that uh, he's got a good a good punch, um, and I think he. You know, he's a lot of the tape is showing him at tackle, but I think he's going to be a more natural fit as a guard. Um, looking at some of his pass sets, it's a little bit uh, shallower than you'd like to see for a tackle. Um, but he moved his feet well. I'm not sure the degree of competition he was going against. Um, obviously, looking at some of the European guys there. Um, but in terms of just having the mechanics and having the size, he's got both of those things. So, you know, hopefully that that's something that we can work with because, um, you know, the biggest thing is you, you can't you can't teach size. And it's nice that he already has a lot of those fundamentals kind of down um, in terms of pass pro, which is going to be the bigger part, because um, that's the harder thing to teach. Absolutely. Also, the guy who was working with him, that sort of turned him on to us, um, Paul Alexander long-time NFL O-line coach. Shout out Sons of Saturday with their interview with him. And he straight up said, he said, if this kid was stateside, he would be a four-star or maybe a five-star because of the size. And like you talked about, he's already got a lot of really good technique. Um, We don't know the competition, but, you know, from listening to that interview, and they did a great job with Paul, but Paul tells you, all of those places, they have leagues. So it's obviously not the standard of the NFL. So, again, he's been coached by Paul. He's probably seen it played. He's probably seen the NFL. And it's one of those things where 
sometimes you just take a risk. And this is one of those classes where you can dice roll. This, you know, this isn't last year by any means, but because we didn't have many spots last year, this year we basically can go full boat. Um, and it's like, take the risk. He's already built. At least him coming in, we don't have to worry about him putting on 30, 40 pounds to play at a collegiate level. He's already 290 pounds. He's already six foot three and a half. He's got the body to do it. Let's just see if he can do it. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, let's have a little fun here, Brian, before we get to one more sort of serious topic, before we hit this topic for today. You followed it closer than I did. Yes, I did. I followed it a lot closer than you did, I think. I, 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 was, I was really all over it. So, I don't know if you guys know, but Virginia Tech is now football national champions. <laughs> Uh, we geez. have the most recent football national championship in in the sport right now. We took down Duds. We took down Tennessee. <laughs> oh, jeezy! They uh, went down in the Rose Bowl. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely yep. crushed them. Three scores. <laughs> it, it was awesome to see the social media presence. You know, Barstool is the biggest independent brand out there in sports media. They really, they don't care what they, they don't care your take on them. Nope. They say what they want to say. Ask Norm Wood what uh, happened to him. <laughs> he went after him. He got shredded and he gained no followers, but he got tons of uh, hits and he got ratioed to death. But um, it was fun to see. But he got a, he got all... a kicker. He got a punter uh, named <laughs> after him, a, a, a digital punter. <laughs> Which was Awesome. I mean, you know, I, if I could be a butt of a barstool joke and they name a player after me, would I do it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I heartbeat. Yes. Because they're, they're hilarious. Um, but the one big thing, man, that disappointed me and you was our social media just didn't push it. It was just like, dude, you're in, you're in a dead period of sports. People are following this guy, watching him, you know, 70, 80, 100,000 views. And we get a few tweets out of it versus really – you know, jarring with them. Yeah, there, there, there was no there was no media blitz. We had, you know, the mm. initial clap back by the account. And then, you know, once the game was going on, it looked like we had some sort of uh, things slapped together to, uh, you know, celebrate the fact that we, we, we took the win there. Yeah. But there wasn't a whole lot in the in the lead up. And I think, you know, that's about a 48 hour period that you had to put something yeah. together and just nothing really came out of it. I was, I was really kind of disappointed in, in what, yeah. And just, just, I guess not having fun with it. I mean, it was, I don't think it's going to necessarily move the recruiting needle, um, for oh, us, right. but you know, it was just something to increase our visibility and, you know, show that our brand can be fun and be in on the joke and things like that. I mean, that, that, that's an endearing quality. I mean, I think, we had that type of brand already, but we don't show it enough. I think we're very laced up, and I think that's a, some of the criticism that I think the staff gets and the administration gets is that sometimes we don't just show our fun side. It's true. Now, I get the I get the staff not wanting to show their fun side, but the administration, like, this was your opportunity. This was your opportunity for the basically the VT football Twitter brand to go out there and have fun with essentially – I think Barstool's at 2.3 million Twitter followers. Big Cat's at a million. Doug's is like at 90,000. Some of their other guys are in the half millions. 
it's like it's eyes and people know about Sandman. We're, you know, we're not your Ohio State, your Michigans, but we still in the last 20 years have a national brand. And it's like, here's your opportunity. Seize upon it. Because what happens if Barstool, and this is just my hypothetical thing. We have fun with Barstool. We screw around with them. Next thing they want to know is say, hey, we'd love to come up for the Penn State game. Yeah. Like, for real? Like, there, once again, you're missing an opportunity there. So, uh, but still a lot of fun. Um don't well, if nothing else, on. we could have sold some T-shirts off of it. True. True. <laughs> Down goes Doug's, you know. Yeah. Stamp on his big head. So it just it just felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. I mean, I don't I don't think any anyone's going to make a big deal out of it, but it definitely is an opportunity missed. Absolutely, um, Brian. The one let's hit before we hit our normal thing. Um, the last piece I've got on here I want to touch on is going to be. The uh, the summer and fall practice calendar. All um, right, if, if six weeks not, of camp. Yeah, <laughs> and that thing got approved this week by the NCAA committee, so it's pretty much unless unless a lot of people come back against it. Which who's going to come back against this? You're looking at six weeks of camp. Right now, twenty five starting June first, twenty five calendar days, voluntary virtual activities. Then the summer access. Um, the athletes are going to get eight hours of weight training, conditioning, film review, no more than two hours a week. That's roughly going to be mid-July up until the 23rd of July. And then you're looking at the preseason, what you're calling the two extra weeks of camp, Brian. Um, going to be, you know, pretty much, uh, let's see here, 20 hours a week, eight hours of weight training, up to one hour a day for walkthroughs, one hour a day for meetings. Two days required during this off. This is going to be starting late July into early August, going right into the normal preseason activity. Dude, I read about it. I'm happy this is happening for a couple reasons. One, we miss spring ball. We're yep. getting a chance to get the guys in those meeting rooms and get some live action going on before. Uh, and two, um, it, it just gets the guys back on campus and starts assimilating quicker, you know, whether than other than the normal, well, you know, we're going to do voluntary workouts and then we're going to start camp in August. I think yeah. what this shows, this is going to be the model. Cause I'm going to tell you, I think those coaches are going to be like, uh, we're going to do this again next year. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you see some of this usually like the first, you know, those two weeks that we're adding here is essentially what you usually get in like the first three to five days of a, of a spring practice. So you're yeah. getting an extra, you know, two weeks of that essentially here since you missed that installation period. Um, now you're not going to get the same, you know, live action and spring game, um, you know, game, game time uh, type access, but you are getting a lot of a lot of time for that installation of new things. And that's going to be key for us, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball with some of the things that uh, Jay Ham is going to be bringing to the table that are going to differ from what Bud Foster did. So I'm really hoping that we can take advantage of this time. And, um, you know, it's you can watch film all day and you can have meetings and you can look at a playbook. But it's you know walkthroughs still count. I mean, it, seeing it happen on the field, even not at full speed or even close to full speed, that's going to help these guys. So I'm I'm really excited that they're adding that in there for our purposes because I think at least on the defensive side of the ball, we need that time 
for installation, not just, you know, getting back into, you know, game shape and things like that. What about the other piece I talked about? Do you think the, the coaching staff, the athletic departments are going to push the new two week to say, Hey, we need this going in because if we have these two weeks, we're going to have less strains, less pulled hamstrings, less minor ailments where when we go full bore starting in August, we have these two weeks leading up where we're able to do some walkthroughs, we're able to do some physical conditioning. This is going to essentially, it's going to help the student athlete uh, avoid injury during the preseason camp. Do you think they're going to push it and say, we need this every year? I think they'll push for it. I think they might end up getting one week instead of two, which, which I think would be okay. Um, which puts, you know, kids getting back, you know, full bore a week earlier. Um, so you're talking about last three to four days of, of July. In most cases, kids showing back up to campus, um, having a week where you're restricted in what you can do, you know, before you start those, um, true preseason, uh, fall camp activities. So I think that would be something that, that, that would happen. That's likely, I'm not sure if they're going to get two weeks. I think that's something that is probably going to stay in this one pandemic filled year. Um, but I think, I think they'll push for it and I think they might get one week. And I think that will be a good thing for, for everybody. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right, folks, well, let's get into it here. So today we are doing ACC roundup, the unseen enemy, the ones we don't play this year. So today what we're going to be doing is talking about some off season pieces of Clemson, FSU, Wake Forest, NC State, and Syracuse, obviously all over in the Atlantic Division. We're looking at six key elements here today. The number of returning starters, their key departures, looking at the three most impactful recruiting class rankings, coaching changes, and then the key returning starters, and Brian's favorite, the emerging talent. So, uh, Brian, I mean, is it any doubt who we're going to start with? We're going to start. We got to start with Clemson. And I'm going to be honest, Curtis. Clemson is a team that we'll probably play this year because I see us winning the Coastal. Buddy. All right. But we're talking regular season here. So I'll say Clemson is not a team we play yet. Got it. All right. Clemson last year. All right. So I'm going to run it down this way. So let's start with the graduating guys. So let's just take a moment and reflect on what this graduating class experience, man. Um, we're talking about seniors that had one home loss in four years. Uh, four ACC titles, four college football playoff trips, and two national titles. That's a lot of experience, man. Jeezy. <laughs> Jeezy. Well, I mean, All right. <laughs> so, yeah, th- I mean, clearly creme de la creme. They are 14-1 last year. They're all national they lost some guys, and I'm sure you're going to key on a few going to be most hurting to them. But overall, I look at them. Brian, the only, they're returning 11 starters, both offensively yeah. and defensively, which is, believe it or not, you hear that and it's like, it's not terrible. I mean. It's not terrible considering the amount of talent they are losing. Yeah. Um, now, I'm just going to run down, like, graduating seniors. So, they've got, uh, we'll start with the guys that got drafted. So, we're talking Tanner Muse, who drafted in the third round. Uh, Kavon Wallace drafted in the fourth, John Simpson drafted in the fourth, and Tremaine Ancrum, sorry, 
drafted in the seventh. So those are the four guys from the graduating class um, that were drafted. But there's a lot of other guys in that in those graduates that you know saw a decent amount of playing time. So let's run them down. We got Chad Smith, Gage Cervenka, Denzel Johnson, Patrick Fibbs, J.L. Banks, Stephen Sawicki, Sean Pollard. DeAndre Overton and Brian Dawkins Jr. But we had three other guys that departed early in this uh, in this Clemson team from last year, from 2019. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Those guys, those are some studs. So we got uh, first round talents: Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, drafted in the first round, and cornerback AJ Terrell, also drafted in the first round. And uh, in the second round, wide receiver T. Higgins. Yep. And, you know, those are some big-time players that left early. So, yeah. um, And they were expecting a couple more big-time players to leave early, and they ended up staying. But we'll get to that later. So what do, you, what do you think about these departures so far, Curtis? Well, the departures, the big one I see for them is they lost four on the offensive line, which is big. But with Clemson, and I'm going to hit on the recruiting rankings in a minute here, they're putting the talent back in. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Yeah. Of those three big guys, Terrell's a shutdown corner, Higgins, big body wide receiver, jump out of the building, go get the ball from people, and Simmons. Who do you feel is the piece they're going to miss and luckily for you, you get both sides of the ball, so you get to choose where you feel like they're going to see the most impactful guy leaving. Uh, so that's that's the big thing. So, you know, when I look at it, I think their offense is probably going to be the hardest to replace, and mainly it's because of those those linemen that are departing. Okay. Um. You know, we you got you got two big ones in there um, with Ankrum and, and Simpson, um, but you also had you know Pollard and Cervenka. So you know, those guys played a role as well. Um, so I think that's going to be the hardest thing to replace for them. Is you know I know they've got a couple guys that I want to talk about here in a little bit um, coming in and, and, and stepping into these roles, but I think the offensive line is going to be the thing to look at the most because while they keep putting you know get, getting guys in. You know, Clemson hasn't always been known for those big-time linemen. And I think the fact that they had a couple of those guys in this uh, this class, you know, I think that's going to be an area that might hurt them. Absolutely, man. Well, Brian, I sit here and I think about it. Uh, you know, you, you really don't worry about them too much because, dude, the recruiting classes have kind of been insane for them. This is – I'm going back to 2017. First of all, yeah. of that class, Higgins and Terrell are gone. Oh, did we forget Travis Etienne is returning? That class in two, 2017 was the number 16 ranked class. You look at 2018 where you see probably this is the year more guys are going to make impacts. They were the number seven, another small class, 17 commits. That was the Trevor class. And then 2019 was 10. So, you know, it's not out of this world. They're in the top five every year, but we know the way they recruit. We know the way they look for fits. They've got a lot of good guys on this roster still. I mean, you might see some jumps. I think the Justin Ross thing, being out is going to be just as impactful because, I mean, you saw what he did when he was a freshman in that national championship game against um, Alabama. He literally ate them alive as a freshman. Um, yeah. So that's the way I kind of see it there. 
But, Brian, the one other piece I told you I was going to hit on, and, and I feel like this is big. So before we get into the, the players, because I know you really want to get into the keys on that, I want to hit the coaching changes because this is big for me. And I don't know if we saw it in those last couple games, but they weren't quite clicking like they were. And Jeff Scott, who was the wide receiver coach, the co-offensive coordinator, he left. He took down at UCF. He's replaced by Tyler Grisham. He takes over the wide receiver role. I mean, you talked about it. Grisham's been there a long time. The GA, he did analyst work for him, so he's probably very good with the culture, the playbook, how they like to do things. So that might be a big question. But it's going to be interesting for Tony because he is now the OC entitled by himself. And although he was known as the overall play caller, I did some research, and I found a graphic back from 15. And tell me if you don't find this interesting. And I want to hear your opinion from a guy who coached and played about how it could screw up. You ready to hear it? 2015, it kind of broke down like this. Jeff Scott called the first and second down pass plays along with any third down and long. While Elliott primarily did the first and second down run plays, and he was primarily responsible for ride receiver, or excuse me, running back block protections for blitzes. So let me ask you this, Brian. Tony now has to worry about first and second down passing plays. He has to worry about third and longs, along with all of his other responsibilities. You saw in that game against Ohio State, it took him a while to get going. And you saw against LSU, it looked like they were getting ready to do, and then they just kind of floundered. Now, is that because because Jeff was still there helping them out? But tell me what your biggest thing is about him going from that list of responsibilities to now it's all his. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big thing to watch um, because I think, as you said, it, something with the passing game just wasn't quite hitting the way it normally does. Um, I think the running game is going to be fine. I think that's that's a specialty. That's a wheelhouse. But I think acclimating to the feel and the flow of what what those passing game um, is going to look like, both from that perspective and from from working Tyler in as the the full time wide receiver coach, it might have just been something where there wasn't enough mesh time between when those decisions were made and then when you had to play the game. You know, so an off season might do that wonders. But that's definitely going to be something to watch because obviously it looked like something wasn't quite jiving um, by the time they got to the playoffs. And, you know, you needed some heroics from uh, from Lawrence in the uh, the game against Ohio State. And then, you know, it just – they never quite seemed like they got over the hump or into the groove of the game against LSU. You know, they were playing well, but they were just kind of always at arm's length. And I, and I think you, you haven't been used to seeing a Clemson team play like that, so – um, it'll be interesting to see if they can get things uh, you know, ironed out over the offseason. Not at all, man. Not at all. It's going to be very interesting um, with them. All right, dude. These, I'm going to throw it to you now. Give me some of your key returning starters for this Clemson Tiger team. All right, key returning starters. So, obviously, the, the, the big one here we're talking about is going to be Trevor yep. Lawrence. Um, you know, he followed a – true freshman campaign of 3,280 yards, 30 touchdowns and four interceptions and a national title uh, with another 300 
3,665 yards, 36 touchdowns, and eight interceptions as a sophomore. And Clemson was back in the playoff and in the national championship. So, you know, this is a guy that has the it factor, the clutch gene, you know, all those cliche things that people throw out about quarterbacks and how they play. You know, this kid's got it, um, you know, deceptively elusive. Um, I know that's probably <laughs> something that, <laughs> that that you apply to, um, you know, any white kid with a wiggle. Um <laughs> But we saw it against Ohio State, man. I mean, I don't think we – we knew he was an athlete, but I don't think we knew he had, you know, that type of yeah. play in him. Um, so I think that was something that kind of stood out um, from his sophomore campaign. Um, but he's he's the big guy returning, and he's going to be, you know, one of those early, you know, Heisman favorites going into this year. Um, but the guy standing either next to him or behind him most times, Travis Etienne, I mean – this was a kid that everybody thought was yeah. leaving early and decided to come back for his senior year. And now the entire ACC is sad. Yes. <laughs> because they've got to face this Absolutely, kid again. Absolutely, man. Because um, he was, he was going to be. You know, this is a Maxwell and Doak Walker semifinalist in 2019, second team All American and reigning ACC player of the year. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, he's electric, but he's also still a guy that can carry the load. He's not a he's not a guy that is going to shy away from contact, or is just a guy with some with some wiggle that can, you know, run away from people either. So he's going to be obviously probably one one B for Trevor Lawrence's one A in terms of the uh, the firepower that they're bringing back. Um, yeah, let's talk about some of the other guys though. Let's talk about Nolan Turner. So. Defensive player, he's the only returning safety that played some key snaps last year, but he was sixth on the team in tackles in 2019. And he shared the team lead in pass breakup. So he's a guy that can make some plays in the secondary. So he's going to be a guy that you want to watch for. And if we're talking about the last thing I'll talk about here is another offensive weapon that we thought potentially could make the NFL jump, but decided to come back. And that's Amari Rogers. Um, Yeah. He's a, Big-time special teams player, but he's also able to make some big plays as a wide receiver for them, um, which they're going to need now, especially with Justin Ross being out. Um, he's a guy that can – you know, he's got that quickness, elusiveness in the open field. So, um, you know, having him back is going to be key for him. All right, Brian. Good number of players right there that we've, we've heard their names. We've seen them on the field. Who's a guy that's going to emerge? Who's a guy in week – you know, I – how about this? The guy that in October we're going to be talking about on Clemson that maybe we didn't quite see coming or we thought might come, and he did come. So the guy that uh, – I'm going to say this. The guy that they have to have step up is Mac okay. Bockhorst. Um, he's he's their uh, guard that's probably going to slip into the, uh, the left guard spot that John Simpson's um, occupied right. in 2019. Um, he was primarily a rotational, like the key six man for their line in 2019. Um, he took over for Simpson in, um, I think it was the FSU game. And he ended up grading out the highest oh, wow. on the team for that game. So, so I think Simpson went down early in that game and he ended up grading out pretty high. So, you know, he's got a lot of uh, potential, but, you know, he's he hasn't seen a whole lot of time so he's a guy that they're going to need to step up with all those interior linemen departing 
Um, another guy that they're going to really need to step up is going to be uh, Joseph Nyata, and that's a uh, 6'3", 215-pound wide receiver. Um, he's going to be the guy that's going to step into the role that T. Higgins had last year. Yeah. And so I think that's that's going to be the key, and it's going to be key to see what Tyler Grisham can do in developing his talent to be able to step into that role. But, I mean, there's three words that describe this guy. He's big, he's strong, and he's explosive. <laughs> so – that sounds like somebody that might might do some damage pretty early on. Um, and another guy that might be kind of impactful but more in a uh, situational role is going to be Brandon Galloway. Um, didn't play pretty much the whole season last year because of a banned substance suspension. Um, saw some time in the college football playoff. But, I mean, this kid is 6'4", 240. Wide receiver. Um. So I think this is a guy that's going to be a big red zone target for Trevor Lawrence. And he's a guy that they'll probably line up on the inside some and just create some mismatches against linebackers and safeties that just, you know, linebackers can't run with them and the safeties can't out muscle them or have the height on them. So he's going to create some problems. All right. So we're going to put a wrap on Clemson there. Needlessly, the Clemson Tigers is, uh, well, let's just say, they have things in place that probably will continue to keep them successful. Now, Brian, we're going to move on to the Florida State Seminoles. FSU made a bowl last year, but a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Um, they're returning 10 starters on defense, seven offensive starters, so a total of 17 starters back. That's a lot from a team that – just barely met bowl eligibility, lost in the bowl game, and then a lot of other stuff happened. So, Brian, they had a couple guys drafted, I think. Uh, one guy I really wanted for my team, but we didn't take him, but I get it. But who do you see as some of the big, um, essentially, key departures? When we talk about FSU players, man, we got to start, of course, with Cam Akers. Oh, yeah. Drafted in the second round. This kind of was their entire offense last year. It's in some games. It truly really was, man. Um, so, th- I mean, that's the big piece that they're going to have to replace, and they're, they're probably going to end up doing it with some type of committee. Um, well, well, I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along here. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing at that position. But uh, I'm sure you have a lot to talk about for this one because there's been uh, – a good deal of turnover with the staff, right? <laughs> oh, buddy, was it? Was it? So, uh, yeah, as everybody knows, watching college football last year, Willie Taggart fired midseason. And um, in the offseason, Florida State, uh, first of all, I would like to see what their booster's checkbook looked like after paying Taggart out because that was a boatload of money he was owed. But they go write a big check for Mike Norvell out of Memphis. Um, basically, you look at Norvell, he built what Coach Fuente did at Memphis, success, and went 38-15 and 15 in his time there. So definitely had success down in the AAC, including a trip to the Cotton Bowl last year. Um, you look at Norvell's offense and – it was described by Ian Boy as this. It is like a tight end inclusive spread offense. Now, you know, Willie's running his Gulf Coast offense down there, and they're different. Don't get me wrong, they are. 
but I don't think Mike is going to have a steepest curve as Willie did coming from Jimbo's more pro style offense. Um, now I'm going to tell you something, what Norvell did, Brian, this might be a shocker to you. Okay. Listen to how Norvell broke down. First of all, Norvell kept two holdovers from Willie staff. One was Odell Hagens. Odell Hagens has been at FSU forever. Um, was there with Bobby, there Jimbo. And okay. he got on Duggan, the wide receiver coach. So, defensive line and the wide receiver coach. Norvell only brought two of his coaches from Memphis. Two. Wow. Yeah. And so, the other guys, it is a, you know, there's additional seven guys that he brought from all over the place, man. And these are guys with D1 coordinator, or excuse me, D1 position coaches and their backgrounds. So, I hate to say this, but when I kind of look at Justin Fuente, Justin Fuente held on to what? Bud, Charlie, and at that point in time, Torian was still on staff and zone. Yeah. He basically brought his entire Memphis staff when he comes, where Mike Norvell is just like, nah, nah, I want these guys who coach the D1. It's pretty wild. Now, for Norvell, he's also talent, man. Here are these numbers. Team class, so essentially the senior class this year, they were the number six rated uh, 247 recruiting class. Okay. The 2018 class was 11, and 2019 class was 18. That was after the whole Jimbo fire and Willie coming in and everything. So he's got some talent, and you know I'm going to be interested to see how it works down there. Um, if there's going to be any growing pains the first year, but you look how he built his coaching staff. He wasn't going with familiarity, a couple guys he coached with, but he was going with D one proven guys. And I kind of like that move by him now. That's going to be interesting Brian, dynamic to see how those guys mesh, because we yeah. obviously know that the talent is there. We know these guys can coach. But just because these guys can coach doesn't mean it's going to be a good fit and that things are going to work together the way that they're that, that they should on paper. You know, everything looks good on paper for, for what they can do there, especially with with Norville at the helm on paper that that staff looks good. It'll be interesting to see how they move forward and, and mesh as the season goes along, especially, you know, that those first couple, um, you know, first couple hard games that they'll get to in their schedule. You know, I don't think they're going to have any problem with some of the, the lower-level competition. But once they start getting to some of the the harder teams on the schedule, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. Absolutely. All right, dude, tell me, who's, who's their keys coming back? All right. So we've got a few big ones here. We'll start with the obvious one, Marvin Wilson. Oh, yeah. Defensive lineman. This guy is a monster. This guy is likely a first-round draft pick. He was going to be this year. <laughs> he was going to be this year, and Norvell was able to get him to come back and try to start that rebuild, and I think it's paying dividends. I mean, we, we've seen him as a leader. I know that it did cause some headaches in the locker room, but I think once they finally got on the same page, I think it seems like they're moving forward with some of the things there. So credit to him for – both speaking out, but also stepping up and being a leader and let his voice be heard and, and moving past it 
you know, once they came to a determination of how, how to do that. So credit to him. And I think he's going to be a dynamic player this year. Um, so look for big things for him. Talk about some other guys, uh, Tamori and Terry wide receiver. Other than, than Cam, this was the rest of the offense pretty much. I mean, we're talking about tw- a guy that had 1,200 yards receiving and nine touchdowns in 2019. Um, so when the ball was moving through the air, more than likely it was going Terry's way. Oh, yeah. And, you know, lastly, I'm going to say this on the defensive side of the ball, we're looking at Emmett Rice, the linebacker. He had 72 tackles as a junior last year, and the guy was all over the field making plays. So I think you're going to see a lot more um, coming out of him this year. Um, you know, being able to step into a, a really big leadership role in this rebuild um, behind uh, Wilson there. So I think that's going to be uh, be big for this this team because their areas of their defense have looked good, but they've been just so inconsistent with being able to stop the ball um, in the, the back part of uh, – yeah, outside of the defensive line, they've, they've struggled to, to stop offensive moving on them, and they've struggled to put up consistent points. So we'll see if that can change. Um, so that's, that's the big play guys. Now, if we're talking about guys that might step into a more key role this year, there's going to be several of them. And a lot of them are coming from other places. Um, let's talk about the, about the big one first. So we're talking about De- Devonte Love Taylor, the FIU transfer. Um, what's been the, the most glaring issue with Florida state in recent years, offensively? Offensive line. Offensive line. They've been literally <laughs> – it's been just a mess to watch them on television. It's just like – like It's amazing that Akers was able to do what he did with that offensive line, but even more so, their pass pro has been horrendous. Horrendous. And I'm hoping, you know, for, for their sake at least, that uh, this guy's going to be able to step in and make some big-time contributions for them. If we're talking about – Cam Akers replacements. Uh, we're talking about a couple more um, guys that are coming from other places. So they picked up uh, Jashawn Corbin from Texas A&M that probably looks to get a lot of snaps this year. Um, Juco transfer, uh, LaDamian Webb. And um, they've got a couple guys that are kind of the uh, the flex type players, uh, Corey Wren and Ja'Kai Douglas, that are probably going to look to make some noise as well. Um, so those are the guys in terms of replacing the production of Cam Akers that might, you know, step up and, and do some big things. And the last guy I have here is DJ Matthews. He's a wide receiver. He had yeah. 36 catches, 335 yards, and three touchdowns last year. So respectable numbers, but I, you're going to need to see him probably take another step this year if they're going to have some success. So look look for him to be a guy that, if, if you want a guy that's going to step up and take them to the next level, he's probably going to be the one that's going to make the most strides. Awesome. One name I didn't hear in that, Brian, which I'm very interested in me, was Khalil Laborn. thought he, you might be seeing him as the next Cam Akers, but I guess from your research, you're feeling like maybe he doesn't fit in Norvell's systems. But I guess time will tell with that, right? Yeah, I think he's probably going to see some time, but I just I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Okay. You know, everything I'm reading is that they're looking at some of these guys that are coming in to really step into key roles. So I'm not sure if that means that, you know, he's kind of been passed on the depth chart in terms of what Norvell is looking for, or if it's just production wise, looking at the tape, you know, he doesn't quite, you know, cut the mustard as it were. So I guess time will tell in, in terms of if he can climb back into the, uh, the role to be, you know, one a or one B in this offense. But, uh, 
I think the Seminoles are looking at some of these guys they've got um, in the portal and uh, and through the you know, JUCO transfer. I think they're going to look at those guys to make some some different type of plays for them. Absolutely, man. All right, Brian, let's move on. One of my personal favorite ACC teams that aren't the Hokies, the Dave Clawson-led Wake Forest team and Deacons coming off an 8-5 season last year. Um, returning five offensive starters, seven on defense. For a team like Wake Forest, that is not a lot, man. But uh, give me a couple guys that, that we're going to really see missing on the field. I know one of them, but I feel like there's one other guy too. All right. So, I mean, you know, elephant in the room, Jamie Newman is transferred to Georgia. So we're definitely not going to see him on the field for Wake Forest this year. Um, you know, we, we got a couple other guys we're talking about. The, the big one for me is going to be a couple guys that ended up in the draft. Uh, we're talking about Justin Heron, um, offensive lineman. He was a six-round draft pick. And yep. Justin Strahd. Uh, linebacker, he was a fifth round draft pick. So those are the guys that are the key departures. Um, you know, the last two were going to be graduating seniors, and obviously, um, you know, Jamie Newman transferring to Georgia, he still got some time left uh, to play football. But those guys are going to be the ones that are missed the most on this team. Yeah. Now Wake Forest did, you know, make some coaching changes this year. Kind of interestingly, after coming off a solid eight and five year, although they waned in the end there. Um, Paul Williams is now their secondary coach. He's been a veteran of 20-plus years, including a stop during the Al Golden era down at Miami. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Brian Crawford, is uh, he was the cornerbacks coach, but he is moving to an assistant special teams coach and a nickel coach. Now, he previously had been the special teams coach at Harvard before he came down to Wake. Almost maybe seems he was not in the right position coaching corners. Let's get him to something he knows better. Um, they've hired Greg Jones as their linebacker and coach. He had been with them for a little while doing some off-field stuff, and they let go of Brad Sherrod. So made some changes, but not anything drastic. It looks like, if anything, the Crawford move was to more. He's better at doing this. We're bringing in a really veteran guy in the secondary. Um, and then the Greg Jones thing. I'd like to see – I kind of feel for Sherrod because he did have a good linebacker. Jones is going to walk in with losing one of their better players. Um, but, dude, they're not it, – it's weight. They don't get a lot of talent. 2017, 68th-ranked recruiting class. 2018, the 64th-ranked. 2019, the 58th-ranked. So, in in lieu of all those things, and I know they're returning a couple pretty good players where they might surprise a few people, this could be one of those down years at weight. And, you know, for me, who is coming back that you see could, if they make a bowl, would be really impressive? Well, I mean, when we, when we start with some of the key returners, we got to start with, I mean, the dude, Sage Surratt. Um, yeah. I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the country, and he was making his case for the best receiver in the country until he got injured against Virginia Tech last year. Yes, he did. This guy can do it all. I mean, big body, but he can run by you. He was third-team All-American um, by Athlon even after the injury. Um, First-team All-ACC wide receiver after the injury. I mean, this guy was out there putting up some big-time numbers for them. But uh, we also got to look at a few other guys. Um, you know, Primarily, these guys are going to be uh, defensive players. So, oh, yeah. We're looking at Ryan Smenda, 
Um, he started all 13 games as a sophomore last year at linebacker. And he led the team with 81 tackles um, and was second on the team in tackles for loss with seven. And he recorded double-digit tackles against Virginia Tech and Duke. So he was he was pretty much one of uh, their, uh, their tackling machine out there, um, especially for a guy stepping into a big role as a sophomore. And I'm going to go with uh, – this is going to hurt the Hokies a little bit here. Oh, man. But the next two key returners we're looking at are both Virginia natives. Trey Rucker from Fairfax. Uh, he had nine starts last year as a freshman. He's fourth on the team in tackles, and he's stepping in as a day one starter, you know, after taking on that role last year due to injuries. And the big the big uh, veteran guy here, the redshirt senior, Carlos Basham from Roanoke. Boogie. Yeah. Walter, Walter Camp, preseason All-American, first team All-ACC in 2019, 11 sacks and 61 quarterback pressures. Also had three forced fumbles. I mean, he, yeah, he's, the dude. Well he's the dude, and he was in our backyard, and he's playing for Wake. I know Wake is yeah. you know, geographically still pretty damn close to Roanoke, but that one still hurts. It does. It hurts a lot, man. All right. And I, I, I got, I got a couple he, of Virgin players I want to talk about here, though. Yeah, I, I got a feeling I know one of them, but who, who's your emerging guys for weight? All right. So it's got, you know, number one, it's got to be Sam Hartman because if Sam Hartman yeah. is not an emerging player, then they are going to have a rough go of it. Oh, they're <laughs> going to have such a rough go with Sam Hartman as an emerging player. That Now, he, he, played, he played a lot in, in 2018. So, I mean, he did. There, there's some history there. You, you see that he can do the job. Now, the question is, has he taken any, you know, key steps, um, you know, playing behind Newman last year where you can come in and say, okay, well, he's going to make some noise now. Um, but he's got a good game, and I think he's got some of the, at least with Surratt, some wide receiver talent, but most of their wide receivers are also big guys. So I think that's going to help a guy that's stepping into this type of role. Um, you know, he's got big guys to throw to. So I think that's going to you know, soften that landing a little bit. Um, you know, Speaking of guys he's throwing to that, that need to emerge, Donovan Green. Um, he showed a lot of chemistry with Hartman um, starting four games uh, in his red shirt uh, campaign last year as a freshman. Um, so, so he played in four games. Um, based on NCAA rules, but one of those games was Syracuse, and he had uh, seven catches for 172 yards, including a 75-yard touchdown. So the kid can make some plays, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do with a, a full run of, uh, of games this year, uh, especially with Hartman pulling the trigger, who happened to be pulling the trigger when he had most of those catches in that Syracuse game. So it'll be interesting, but um, yeah, as we're moving forward, Looking at uh, Kenneth Walker at running back for them, um, that's going to be another key to look at this year. Um, played in all 13 games as a freshman and had two 100-yard games. And he led the team in rushing in three of the games last season. So he was a pretty key role, even though he was stepping in as a freshman last year. Uh, kind of similar to you know, what uh, Keyshawn King did for us, except not quite as, um, not quite as, as explosive as King. Terrence Davis, uh, he's going to be the Maryland transfer, plays the interior line at Wake now. It'll be interesting to see how they work him in because Wake is returning all of their interior linemen this year. So I'm wondering if some of those guys don't shuffle around to make some some room for Davis to slip in there. But that could help them shore up things a little bit as 
as they look to replace a couple of their uh, their their offensive linemen. That Absolutely, and you know, Brian too, they might be taking a look at him, even regardless of size wise, with collegiate level tackles. Somebody kicking the outside that was on the inside, Davis kicking to the outside. I think Wake's going to lean a lot on their defense this year if they do make a bowl. Um, so a couple of those guys you mentioned, it's going to be very key for them. All right, let's move down the road a little bit to the east. Let's go to NC State. Now, NC State, not a good season last year. They're worse under Dave Dorn, 4-8. and eight, But they do have some returning players, 10 players coming back on offense, six players coming back on defense. Now, Brian, they did lose three starters on the defensive line, and a couple of them I'm sure you're going to be talking about right now. All right, so lost uh... – Lorel Murchison, he was taken in the fifth round um, by the Tennessee Titans, so that's a that's a big loss. And then uh, also had another guy right there on the defensive line, James Smith Williams, uh, drafted in the seventh round by the Redskins. So that's two guys off of a defensive line that are now playing in the NFL. So that's going to be really really hard to fill those shoes. It absolutely is, man, and um, it's going to be tough for them. Um, clearly. With what happened last year for NC State, Dave Dorn, I think, officially is on the hot seat, and he made he made some coaching changes like he was on the hot seat. He first, big thing, he brought in Tim Beck, new offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. The co-offensive coordinators from last year are still on the team. George McDonald is now only doing wide receivers. The other, Kurt Roper, is only doing a running backs coach. They did hire Joe DeForest as a safety from um, USC. So, new safety coach on defense, Freddie Autry. Uh, Lindsey, he comes in a nickel coach from North Carolina Central. He did have a stop at Ole Miss in 2018, so some D1 experience. Also, it looks like some local ties there to the uh, triangle. And, well, the last two, Brian, I think we're super familiar with. I don't know why, but uh, these guys coach for the Hokies. Brian Mitchell, the cornerback coach, uh, let go by Virginia Tech, lands on his feet down in Raleigh. And, obviously, the one that still stings a lot of Hokies fans, um, longtime defensive line coach Charlie Wiles, um, you know, let go. And for Charlie, it made a ton of sense. He's always recruited down in North Carolina. So we're probably going to have to have some fights with him over some players in the future. Um, You're right. But overall, I I think you see Dorn know, I need to make some changes on offense because we've got to score more points. But he's bringing in some really solid defensive players too because he knows that if he screws up this year, they're probably going to let him go. And he has some decent recruiting classes, 53 from 2017. 26 from 2018 and 32 from 2019. So there are some talent in there, but I think Dorn know the seat's on fire. I got to bring in guys I think can get us there now, not later. And then you see some of those guys coming back, Brian. Who do you think is going to hopefully potentially save Dave Dorn's job? <laughs> well, I've got, uh, I've got five guys that I've kind of targeted both of that. Some of them returning, some of them going to be new that I want to, kind of talk about a little bit here. Um, But the big one that's we weren't able to see last year that we're going to get to see this year because of NCAA rules is linebacker Levi Jones. So he had to sit last year, transfer from USC. Um, But by all accounts, he's, he's getting rave reviews. So, um, but apparently put on a bunch of muscle and uh, you know, he was 
scout team player of the year in the year he had to sit out there. So he, he's a guy that apparently is a good locker room guy, good in the weight room, and seems to have the ability to, to translate that to the field. So he's a guy to keep an eye on, um, both in terms of big playability and just you know being able to rack up some tackles. So the Wolfpack are deep at linebacker, um, but it seems like he has already kind of worked his way into – that guy and also being kind of a a hybrid pass rusher for them. So uh, keep an eye on Levi, Levi Jones there. Shoring up that offensive line is going to be key. And it looks like Akeem Ekwonu is going to be the guy that's going to potentially step in and, and help out there. It looks like he was battling some injuries. Eventually he got put into left tackle last year at one point, once he worked through those injuries and seemed to do pretty well. So I think he's kind of a guy that has already shown some promise, but he hasn't really even reached his uh, his ceiling yet, just being a, a freshman last year. So sophomore tackle uh, Ekwonu is going to be a guy to keep an eye on. Let's also look at uh, the defensive end, Jeffrey Gunter. We talked about all those guys departing on the defensive line. Um, this is a guy that apparently also had to sit out last season and uh, did a lot of good good stuff on the scout team, just like Jones. So I think he's a guy that looks to, if not, you know, step into a, a starting role, but he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be rushing the passer and, and getting off the edge for them. Looks like he was at Coastal Carolina in 2018. So he's kind of following the uh, the Brock path here. You know, Coastal 2018, sitting out 2019, and, you know, stepping into a key role in 2020. So um, he's a guy to keep an eye on. And the one one other one I want to focus on here is a guy that we really don't know a whole lot about, but he's kind of looked at as the savior of the offense. Um, and that's freshman wide receiver Porter Rooks. They really were very, very poor at the wide receiver position last year. And based on this guy's um, tape and everything, they are really, really excited to see what he can do because they think he can actually have play level ability. Um, he had rolled early, so... You know, you know he's got the maturity and he's got the skill level. So I think they're looking at him to be an instant impact guy and to be the guy that can make some big plays for them right out the gate, despite just being absolutely. A I mean, pretty high four star guy. So it sounds like he is expected to be not only, you know, one of the key contributors, but it sounds like an emerging talent on your end, Brian. Um, yeah, he's kind of pulling double duty there. He's, he's both an emerging talent and, uh, and a guy they're looking to be a playmaker for them right nice. at the game. And, and for them last year, too, they were struck by a lot of injuries, so it, it definitely didn't help as many different players as they had to go four and eight. But still, you know, you're required to win football games, and whoever's there is there. You're supposed to win. And maybe that was something that Doran saw with, you know, some of the coaching stuff I saw where certain coaches weren't getting the job done, and he was like, I don't feel like going back and coaching at a lower deer, a lower level. I'm going to fire some people. So, yeah. All right, Brian. Well, let's move on to our last group here, the mighty Syracuse Orange with Dino Babers. Five and <laughs> The mighty Syracuse Orange with Dino Babers. Five and seven last year. Now, they're returning 11 starters, four on defense, seven on offense. But, man, they ain't Clemson. Coming with 2017 recruiting ranks of 2017-54, 2018-51, and 2019-56. And, Brian, did they have any really key losses that might make them even worse than the 5-7 and seven last year? Yeah, the big one we're going to talk about is uh, oh, Alton yeah. Robinson. Um, 
Now that, that that's a guy that uh, was was making plays all over the field for them last year, and I think that he's going to be the the guy that they're missing the most uh, going into this year. You know, we're also looking at uh, they they lost what bunch of defensive line talent in, uh, that were graduating this year. We've got Kendall Coleman and McKinley Williams and Kenneth Ruff as well. So we're looking at a, a bunch of guys on the defensive line that were that were leaving. Um, due to graduation and, and the NFL. So they're going to have a hard time replacing that talent because that's a lot of depth to go in one season. All right, Curtis, so I'm going to throw this to you. So they were 5-7 and seven last year. Did they make any big changes? Oh, they made coaches? several changes, big guy. Right, they first started brand-new defensive coordinator, Tony White, coming from Zona State with Herm. Um, the previous defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, was fired after he gave up 58 to Boston College last year. Yeah, you, the way but BC was last year, you give up 58, you're probably not going to have a job, unfortunately. Um, now, Tony White actually is coming out. He was with Herm, but he was multiple years under Rocky Long out at San Diego State. So comes from a really good defensive pedigree type program. And you're probably going to see Syracuse start running a 3-3-5 base this year. So a little change up there. Now, they also got a new offensive coordinator. Um, start, yeah. Okay. So, again, I think Dino's feeling the hot seat like Dave Dorn, man. Um, so new OC Sterling Gilbert from McNeese State. He had actually worked with Dino Babers when Dino was at Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green. Now, when he was at Eastern Illinois, um, he was named the FCS Coordinator of the Year. Um, he was essentially coordinator and one of my favorite NFL players right now, Jimmy Garoppolo. And um, so, okay. yeah, Garoppolo won the Walter Payton that year. So, he clearly had a guy with some talent playing at that level. So, clearly, he got Jimmy drafted. So, there's some there's some, there's some some stuff behind this guy, um, Sterling Gilbert. Um, now, the former offensive coordinator, Mike Lynch, stayed on staff. He is now the running backs coach. So, Dino didn't go as deep as Dorn by getting rid of a lot of position coaches. To me, it seemed like he knew it was time for a change in philosophy. And uh, by doing that, I'm wondering, thinking about who's coming back, who you think could benefit, Brian, from the uh, changes to the uh, staffs here? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing you're going to see is, you know, are we going to see a step forward for Good Tommy question. DeVito? That, that's the big thing is that, you know, last year he had 2,360 yards. So not bad, not great. Uh, 19 touchdowns. 63% completion percentage, only five interceptions. So didn't turn the ball over very much, but um, are we going to see him take a step forward uh, in this offense? Um, the key contributor that, that we need to see take a big step forward is going to be his, his primary target, which is going to be Tosh Harris. Yeah. This is a guy that had 37 receptions, 559 uh, receiving yards, only two touchdowns last year. And, that, and that's the big thing I think we want to see improve maybe for uh, for DeVito is getting more touchdowns. Um, I like the interception numbers, but 19 touchdowns seems fairly low along with only you know under 2,500 passing yards. I'd like to see them improve in that, uh, that area if they're going to take another step forward. Um, but what could help with that is a guy like uh, Matthew Bergeron uh, stepping up and being kind of a big-time player for that offensive line, which was absolutely uh, one of their weak spots last year. I think he had, what, uh, 20 knockdown blocks last year and was freshman All-America. So 
definitely a guy that can play, but he's going to be asked to step onto a more leadership role, I think, along the offensive line this year, you know, as they start to get um, get better. So I think offensive side of the ball, those are the three guys that that are going to be key to see if uh, Syracuse can take a step forward and get back to bowl eligibility. Very nice. Any emerging guys from the Syracuse team? Again, it's it's not a highly a lot of highly ranked guys based on where their recruiting is. But is there anybody that stuck out there that said that guy right there might pop this year? So I mean, obviously we've talked about you know Devito taking the next step here, um, but if we're looking for maybe like a, a running back to take a, take a lead role, um, I think they're going to go with the junior tandem of uh, you know replacing Mo Neal. He was their lead rusher last year. But they've got Jarvion Howard and uh, Abdul Adams. Um, so I think those are going to be the two guys that are going to handle the workload from a rushing perspective. Um, so look for them to be key contributors coming into this thing for this season. But also their pass rush uh, takes a big, big hit. We talked about Kendall Coleman. We talked about yeah. Alton Robinson. Other guys left like Lakeem Williams. So that's going to be the biggest part to replace. And I think uh, Michael Jones is going to be one of the guys to look to step in but also Tyrell Richards. So keep an eye on those two guys. Very nice. You don't know how bad when you said Mike Jones. I just wanted to scream Mike Jones from the hip-hop artist back in our uh, younger days. All right, guys. Mike Jones. All right, guys. So that does wrap up this portion. These are teams we don't play. So what we want to ask you guys on Twitter today is this. What team of these five do you wish – we played in the regular season this year. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'd like to play Wake Forest again because I think they are going to be on the struggle bus as much as I love Clawson. Brian, what about you? I wouldn't mind playing Syracuse as long as we weren't in the damn <laughs> period. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but, you know, oh, man, I hate that place. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, guys, so that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Follow Siegler. us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We always let our friend and classmate Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay.